Well, as I said earlier, Pastor Gary's out of town this weekend. He will be back next week. Uh, but we are very blessed this morning to have Pastor Steve Cooper here speaking. Um, he's going to have two different messages this week, so this today. So if you'd like to be here for both services, we'd lo- absolutely love to have you. Uh, I'm not sure. I think. Is that you over there? Okay. I missed you. Uh, Pastor Steve Cooper, come on up, please, if you don't mind, sir. Pastor Steve hails from Pennsylvania. Yes. And uh, he's been a huge blessing to Pastor Gary. He's been there for him. And, you know, we all need somebody to talk to. We all need somebody to to mentor us to one extent or another, no matter where we're at in life. And uh, Pastor Steve has become that for Pastor Gary. And we're grateful for you, sir. But, again, thank you so very much. Thank you. My wife is back there. We just celebrated our 44th wedding anniversary last week, March 30th. I was just um, asking the Lord, you know, whenever you're talking to God, it's, it's good to give him opportunity to talk back to you. And I said to the Lord, you know, if it's okay, I would like to be married to my wife in heaven. And I know the scripture that says that... In fact, we're not giving or taking in marriage, Jesus said to those who wondered who was going to be married to this woman who had seven husbands. But I said to the Lord, I'm not after giving or or taking. I'm already married to her. And I said, "Would would it be okay if we had that kind of relationship? And you know, when you're talking to the Lord, just the way I'm explaining it to you now, You have to give him opportunity to speak to you. Have you ever been in a conversation where one person does all the talking? You can't get a word in edgewise? (laughs) Well, sometimes that's the way we are before the Lord. We'll say everything we're going to say, and we're done. But we need to give God a chance to speak. So if he doesn't speak right away, the scriptures say keep on asking. Keep on praying, seeking, knocking until you get the answer and so that's what I did and one day not too long ago the Lord said this to me not out not out loud the way I'm talking now but in my heart he said you're going to love your wife more in heaven than you have on earth and I thought I'll take that I'll take that every time <laughs> Pastor Gary is very dear to me. He's, he's always, he makes people feel welcome, doesn't he? He just, he knows everybody. He, he remembers your name, and if he doesn't, he's going to get it. And he'll talk with you. And every time I would come to this church when my parents were here, they attended, I don't know how many years back in, um, back in the high school Lemon Bay. And every time I would come to visit, we would go to church, and we'd sit right down in here because Roger was in the front, with the video equipment and my mother would sit right behind him and of course I had to sit with them and every time I would come he'd say there's that pastor from Apollo Pennsylvania (laughs) he knew (laughs) and so over the years we got to communicate and talk in fact he's coming to visit 
our house sometime up there in September because his wife, Kim, uh, grew up not too far away in Clarion, Pennsylvania. And I'm just glad to have a, a friend, a pastor friend like Pastor Gary. Somebody asked me most recently, what's your favorite message that Pastor Gary has given? And I said, my favorite message is the one that I just heard. And then it'll be next week, the one I just heard. They're all good. They all hit the spot. I'm hoping this will hit the spot for you today. There's a short video that Roger's going to bring up. We're going to look at that first. It's not very long. I'll give a couple comments about that, and then we're going to go right into the message. Is that okay? This may work, and it may not work. <laughs> I can give some narrative. If, uh... Now, this is at about 10 kilometers. Okay. Like, if you climb Mount Everest, this is what you'd see. You'd see the curvature of the Earth from that distance. Now, we're going to climb up even higher. This is at 100 kilometers. And you're a fourth of the way to the space station now. This is what you'd see. If you get to this level, you're considered an astronaut. Just if you ever get there. Okay, now we're going 100,000 kilometers. 100,000 kilometers from the Earth. You're a fourth of the way to the moon. That's what the Earth would look like. Now we're going to pull away to a million kilometers. At a million kilometers, there's the moon. Okay? There's the moon. You can barely see the Earth. You're at a million kilometers now. You're past the, past the moon. And uh, now we're going to go to 100 million kilometers. 100 million kilometers. You're still not to the sun. The sun's 93 million miles away. But now we're going to go to 10 trillion kilometers. Ten, there's the sun. Okay. You just passed the sun. Now you would see all of the planets at 10 trillion kilometers. And now... We're at 10 to the 15th power. That means 10 with 15 zeros. I don't know what that number is. 15 zeros, and the sun's just like a bright dot amidst other stars. And now we're going to 10 light years away. At 10 light years away, come on, let's go. Zoom, there you go. 10 light years away, now you just see the sun with like 11 other stars that are kind of its neighbors. You know, that, 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 that's our sun. And now we're going to go a thousand light years away. At a thousand light years away, you, you wouldn't even see our sun anymore. These are just a bunch of stars close to it and this cluster inside the Milky Way. Now we're going to zoom out even further, and that's the Milky Way we live in. See that cluster of stars? Those are about a hundred thousand stars that are closest to our sun. You can't see our sun anymore at this point. Now this is our Milky Way galaxy, and forget about the Earth. Okay, there's our Milky Way galaxy that we live in. Um, and we're just buried in there somewhere. And we're going to pull out even further. And you'll see that our galaxy is actually, it's, it's a big galaxy. And, uh, and all those other things you're seeing now are galaxies. And we're going to pull away 10 million light years now. His next scene is 10 million light years. Those are all galaxies you see amidst our Milky Way, several hundred galaxies. Now we're going to go 100 million light years away. This is the last one. We're going to zoom out to 100 million light years. Those are all clusters of galaxies. Galaxies and clusters of galaxies. You won't even see our Milky Way galaxy anymore amidst that. We don't have telescopes that go beyond that little sphere there. That gives you an idea of just how big 
our Lord is. What a creative genius he is. How powerful he is. It, the idea is to feel that humility that he would have us feel when we see how wonderful a Lord we have. Just to throw this out, because it's, it's good to remember that the Bible, everything the Bible says is true. Now, the Bible is not a science book, but the Bible does speak about science. And this will just confuse scientists sometimes because here's what the Bible says about the sun and the stars. They were created on the fourth day. Now, how is that possible? How could there be an earth with no sun? Well, the Bible says that God is the light thereof. He's that powerful person who can take the place of the sun anytime he wants to. And in fact, when you look in this book and you look towards Revelation and you look to what God is going to do in the future, in the New Jerusalem, which we'll read about today, there is no S-U-N, but there is an S-O-N, the Son of God, the light of the world. And He is the light thereof. Now that's something to give God some praise about right there. He's able to do that and He will in the future. And we want to look at some scripture that's going to help us understand this. Why should we care how big the universe is? Well, we want to care because we want to be humble before the Lord. Our God is great. And there's three passages here. First, I'd like us to say this together, just like Pastor Gary has you do it, because he says when you say it, you remember it. Right? It says, the way up is to go down. Let's say it together. The way up is to go down. It's kind of ironic that it would be that way, but it's the truth. And the way down is through humility. And God wants us to be humble. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be in subjection to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Also in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then in Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall be humble shall humble himself shall be exalted. Now when you look at that universe, just like we did the idea is that we see how big the earth isn't. And I was sharing this with Pastor, uh, Pastor Gary, and he said, uh, I remember doing this. He got out a golf ball. Do you remember the golf balls? Were any of you here whenever Pastor Gary gave a golf ball to everybody in church? Yeah, there's somebody who said, do you still have your golf ball? I could use that. <laughs> Yeah, this is how big it looks from outer space. And this golf ball, it can humble you in more than one way, let me tell you. What you want to be able to see is how little we are, but how great God is. Another thing that will humble us is actually understanding that we are finite creatures. We have 
to sense our own mortality. Remember how vulnerable we are. How many issues can affect us. For example, we're growing older every day that we live. And actually, um, I would say the most of us have peaked. Usually you're somewhere around in your 20s or so when you hit the high point, and then it's all downhill, right? That's what happens <laughs> to us all. We begin to see that we're more susceptible to disease. I was uh, getting ready for the message this morning, and I grabbed a little bit of breakfast because I can't take all the pills that I have to take without something on my stomach. You know what I mean? There's like 10 or 11 pills, and it prevents kidney disease, kidney stones, something I couldn't even pronounce a, a year or so ago, sarcoidosis in my lungs. I got that kind of stuff going on. Deep vein thrombosis. How many of you know about that? You get a blood clot in your leg, and then for the rest of your life, if you've had it more than once like I have, you have to take something called Coumadin. That thins the blood so that you're not supposed to get any more blood clots. So I still have a clot in this leg right here, so I have to take that all the time. And there's a whole host of things. Any one of them could kill me. So we begin to recognize that we're not going to live forever. And that helps us to be humble before the Lord. In fact, the Bible says if the Lord tarries, and we know this is true, and Pastor said it last week, we're all going to die. There's no way around that. It's going to happen to us all. So the sense of humility before the Lord is what we want to have. And here's the hallmark passage. Remember John the Baptist was one of those great prophets in the Scripture, and he, he just reiterated what we need to have in our hearts. Here he's the forerunner of Christ. He's doing all these great preaching services. They're flocking out to hear him by the thousands. And then Jesus comes, and he baptizes him. And then that voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The dove comes down upon him. John the Baptist knows something is special about this guy. He must be the son of God because all this wouldn't be going on unless he were. And then this hallmark passage when the disciples come to him and they tell him all that Jesus is doing, all the miracles he's performing... He makes this statement, and we have to take this to heart. God must increase in our lives. And everything about selfishness, ourselves, our humanity, that has to be on the decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. And so if we can take these things to heart, then we'll be able to be lifted up by the Lord. We'll be able to be shown greater things than we can imagine. God will bless us in ways that we don't even understand right now, but it's coming for all those who will be humble before the Lord. We're going to go back to the future now. Back, how many of you realize that was, that was a movie series 25 years ago? Who was that guy? Um, Michael J. Fox. That's him. And he played this uh, guy named um, 
There it was. That's how you knew that, right? <laughs> he, he starves us. Marty McFly. And uh, he has this uh, doctor friend. They, they're going to make this um, time machine out of a DeLorean sports car. And incidentally, while I was down here, right on the paper, it was either the paper or the news uh, on TV, they're going to make 200 DeLorean cars this year. Now, if you could get one of those and hold on to it if the Lord tarries, that's going to be worth a fortune for you car collectors. I'll tell you what. Anyhow, they got this DeLorean, and somehow the scientist figures out how to make it a time machine. They go back into, um, into the future. They're able to see things that are going to happen uh, in 2015. Marty's looking around. He's seeing all these things that he, he just can only imagine are going to take place because he's 25 years before his time. He sees this sports book. The sports book had on the very front page... Cubs, Chicago Cubs, win the World Series in 2015. That's what it said. Those were headlines in the Pittsburgh press because it was such an unusual thing. I just read yesterday the Cubs haven't won anything for 108 years. So take 25 years off that, it was, what, 80 years or so they hadn't won anything. So it just caught... Uh, Marty's eyes, he grabs this thing and takes it with him. And, and suddenly this is on the front page because, lo and behold, the year that the Pittsburgh Pirates, my team, is going to go to the playoffs in a wild card, the first team that they're going to play is Chicago. We didn't care. We were going to beat them. They couldn't uh, outlast our pitching, our hitting. Who are these guys? They haven't won anything for 108 years, but it was a one-game playoff, and they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, now they had to go to St. Louis. St. Louis had the best record in baseball. The Chicago Cubs slaughtered them. So now they're thinking World Series. I'll bet you the Vegas line went up on them at that point because they were doing so well. They have a chance now, only two games away. But then came along the New York Mets, and the Mets wiped out the Chicago Cubs. And then the Mets must have got proud because they got beat by the Kansas City Royals. So none of those teams, the predictions were wrong. That's the idea. Everything that man predicts, all the Jeannie Dixons of the world, all those people who think they know what's going to happen in, in the future... If it's not brought about by the knowledge of God, it's futile. They may be right a few times, but they're never right 100% of the time. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament, if you predicted something as a prophet, and in fact it didn't come true, do you know what happened to you? They took you outside the camp and they stoned you to death. That would make you very cautious about what you were going to say. You better be sure the Lord is speaking to you whenever you speak. But I'm here to tell you today that, in fact, God has a reality. A reality, something that He knows about the future. In fact, everything. Omniscience means that God knows everything that there is. In fact, uh, 
in the Bible, he reveals it through different means. Dreams, like with Daniel. Sometimes I dream every night, sometimes I don't dream for weeks. But you know, whenever you're laying there asleep and something comes into your mind, you say, whew, that was something. And usually by morning, you've, you've forgotten what it was. <laughs> if it really seems like it's something important, they say what you should do is get up and write it down. But who's going to do that? You're sleeping. I've had maybe one dream or two in my lifetime that I attribute to the kingdom of God. And all the rest were pizza. So, you know, Daniel dreamed dreams, and then there were visions, Ezekiel's visions. Daniel had some too. A vision's different. That's when you're wide awake, and there's like this uh, screen of sorts put over what you normally see, and you see something, though you're wide, it's like there right in front of you, and you can see it clearly, that vision from God. And that's even more rare. It doesn't happen very often, but God has the ability to do that. And then probably the most exciting thing that incidentally all of you in Christ are going to experience, so don't rule this out, it's going to happen to you, is Revelations. That's when God actually comes and does something so special as to draw something of you into the kingdom of God where he can reveal what the future is going to be. Here are some scriptures about this so you know I'm not just pulling your leg. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, Paul writes, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in body I cannot tell, or whether out of body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in body or out of body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, Also, you'll find this for John, but let's talk about Paul first. I think Paul was the man. I think he was talking about himself. I think the Lord took Paul into heaven and he saw some things that were just so unbelievable. Some things he saw he could not tell others. Just like John with the seven thunders. He couldn't tell what God had revealed to him about that. It was sealed. Some of the things Paul saw were sealed so that the only way you're going to find out about those is go to heaven yourself. But it happened, I believe, to Paul. I think he's talking about himself being taken to heaven. And then in Revelation, John chapter 1, verse 4, in Revelation 1, 4, John says this, To the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And in Revelation 4.1, after this, John looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and a voice, it says, which I heard was as it was a, a trumpet talking with me which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. So those are two scriptures that indicate God has the ability to do this. 
He can take you to heaven. And just so you know, this isn't so rare a thing. Everybody that you know that has been a Christian that has passed from this world has gone there already. They're in heaven. Just so you know, it's not something so far-fetched. You're going to experience it if you're a believer in Christ and, and the Lord tarries. It'll be the worst day, people would say, for your life on earth because you're dead. But the worst day of your life on earth will be the best day of your life spiritually. You're going to see God. The kingdom of God. That's going to happen to us. And we can be certain that there's a reality here. John experienced time travel. God took him into the future. Showed him things that were going to occur. God saw future, John saw future events from heaven. He saw judgments that were going to come. Seals of judgment. Vials of judgment. Trumpets of judgment that were going to occur. He sees 24 elders around the throne room. Now just so you know, most theologians believe this. The 24 elders in Revelation are the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles in the New Testament. Now think about that for a moment. If that is true, John saw himself. Talk about a rare thing. Go into the future and see you. <laughs> you there. In fact, he sees other things too. Round about the throne were four and twenty-four seats, and these seats saw four and twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. And this actually proves that he saw the elders. He saw the bride of Christ too. Now the bride of Christ are all those believers. All the people that love Jesus... Uh, do, you, do you love Jesus? Then you're part of the bride. And if you're part of the bride, if it could be singled out, John saw you. And that's quite a marvelous thing to anticipate. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. I can get excited about the body of Christ and all of us being fitted into that body just the way God made you. Why did He make us so unique? We all fit into the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, in just a particular way. And God had that plan. He also saw the New Jerusalem. Now, the New Jerusalem is quite an amazing thing. He carried me away in the Spirit to show a great and high mountain, he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The, lieth, the city lieth four square. The length is as large as the breadth, and the measure of the city with the reed, 12,000 furloughs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. Let's look at that 12,000 furloughs for a minute. As much as we can determine by what the Greek says, and I believe this is true, that means the city of Jerusalem 
the new Jerusalem, was 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. Now, when I travel back to Pennsylvania, which is what we're going to do later today, I'm going to preach and then get out of town. <laughs> we're, we're going back to Pennsylvania. That's still only about 1,100 miles. So you go a little further, maybe up to Maine, somewhere around there, you're going to hit 1,500. That's the length or the width. Then you go 1,500. Do you think that's to the Mississippi River? Probably somewhere around there. It's 3,000 miles to California, so about halfway. That's the width or the length. The trouble is, what do you do with 1,500 miles high? Whew, that's up there. Well, there's no oxygen up there. How are we going to live up there? Well, you're not going to be in the body you're in now. God's got a new one for you. I don't know what he's going to do to make that work. Maybe there'll be hallelujah mountains. <laughs> something there, you know, that's going to make it real. Something that's going to just be used in a powerful way. But I believe as the Bible speaks towards math, what it's saying is absolutely accurate. How many of you believe that today? You don't know all the things. You don't know how that would work. But you believe the Bible. So do I. I know it's true. So John was escorted by a guide who finally reveals himself. Someone's taking him through heaven and showing him all these things that are going to happen. It's an amazing thing because this guy seems to know. This, he figures it's an angel. He probably figures that it's God in angelic form. Because the way this angel looked and the way this angel had knowledge and the way this angel talked, this has got to be something, you know, something wonderful. So much so that John falls on his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren. This is a man that had the testimony of Jesus, worship God, and then this statement that we'll look at a little bit later, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And that's not the only place this is. You can go a little bit further, Revelation 22, 8 and 9. This would be a little bit later. And so John's shown a lot more, and then, then he's just, you would think he was just told that, but he has to be told again. Because he was to fall down and, and worship this, this being that showed him all these things. He perceives that it must be an angel. But in fact, it's still a fellow servant. And of thy brethren, the prophets, almost identical in what it says, and of them which keep the sayings of the book, worship God. Now because you find those scriptures, you can identify certain things that are going to happen to you after you die. Notice this, that it was a man that John had mistaken for God himself. So when you die, you're not dead. <laughs> you're, you're still alive. I mean, they, they put the body in. That was only the shell. The part of you that really counts the spirit and the soul that goes right to heaven. And so the Scriptures make it clear 
In 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So much for this soul sleep idea. You're alive and you're well and you're in heaven and you see things and you know things that you couldn't know any other way. Philippians 1, 23 and 24 says, For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul wanted to go, but he had to stay. And when his stay was done, he was glad to go. Because that would be the best day of his whole existence. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you, according to what the Apostle Paul says. Now, here's a, here's a real clincher for me. That when we die, we go to heaven. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto them, every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until the fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. You know how I think they were killed? I think their heads were cut off. Doesn't seem so strange to say that today, does it? Because there are people that would like to do that to us in the world. And so, it was a man. When you die, you can still speak. And you can communicate too. So you're, you're not a zombie. There's something going on here. Moses and Elijah were on the mount with Jesus and they spoke with Jesus. Now you'll say Elijah didn't die and that's true. But Moses did. He's alive. He's speaking with the Lord. Peter, James, and John saw it, gave testimony that they were there. I often wondered, how did they recognize them? There were no pictures, television commercials, photographs of any kind, paintings. But there was a soul awareness of who they were. And it was, the Scriptures verify, Moses and Elijah communicating with the Lord. Samuel speaking with Saul. Now this is debatable because... Saul goes to the witch of Endor, and she's supposed to conjured up somehow this whole thing so that Samuel would come. But I don't think she had anything to do with what happened. I think it surprised her as much as it did others who were there that day. And Samuel appeared and told, he's dead now, but he comes back. He communicates. He tells Saul, you know, you're going to die for this. And the next day, his sons and he were killed in battle. And then you have this scripture that we're looking at today, the man who is speaking with John. So there's communication after you die. So when you die, you are given great understanding of God's plan. I want you to think about this for a moment because if you're in heaven and you see Jesus, do you have to have faith any longer that Jesus is real? No, you know it. You know, even as you are known, it's real. When you're walking the streets of gold, 
That's the stuff we try to put in our safes, you know, to try to keep the thieves from breaking through and stealing it because it's so valuable. God macadams with it. He takes the jewels that we think are so valuable. He builds walls out of it. They're building items for the Lord. Because the real value of what's in heaven has nothing to do with material things. It has everything to do with the souls of men and women. The most valuable thing in the world and in the universe, what would you give in exchange for your soul, is none other than your soul. But you can be glad God bought with a price when you believe in Him. You are destined for heaven. So when you die, you're given great understanding. There are some words here that just blew my mind. I didn't really get this until a few years ago when Jesus, again, is talking about John the Baptist. Words concerning John. Luke 7, 28. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So, who is in heaven? Well, you've got your men and women. You've got angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, the living creatures, the seven spirits before the throne, and the Godhead. Who do you think is least among those? Men and women. <laughs> Us. <laughs> we're the least. little lower than the angels. Oh, we're made in the image and likeness of God. But being a little lower in the, than the angels, we have to know that we, we already are in that category. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that least in the kingdom of God is the person who just got there. That gave me great joy when my father passed away. Two years ago, February 27th. I could talk to my dad about anything. I'd almost talk to him every day, sometimes twice a day when he was in Florida. I'd always ask him about what's going on, you know, and the things he was doing, and then I'd share things. I, he always had a word of encouragement. When I believed this, at least in the kingdom of God, is greater than John the Baptist, I started thinking about my dad <laughs> and the fact that he was there and what he was seeing and what he understood and the things of God that were given to him as an endowment. You just got there and you get it because you're in Christ. That gave my soul quite a thrill. I want to talk just briefly and I know I'm running out of time. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Follow after charity, it says, and desire spiritual gifts. I'm not going to go into the spiritual gifts. You know, there are a number of them. And this follows chapter 13, which is the love chapter. You know that. But then it says this, but rather that you prophesy. What is this thing, prophecy? And how do, in fact, we get it? Where does the ability to prophesy come from? 
Well, remember, we read the first part of this passage, but let's just go down to where it talks about the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Isn't that an unusual saying? What is the testimony of Jesus? The testimony of Jesus has to do with the actual words of Jesus, that would be testimony, and the works of Jesus. And so when we look at some passages that will help us understand this, you can see how close Jesus should be to us. Let this mind also be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So God is to be that real that His mind begins to control you. You want to be controlled by Christ. Because as long as you're in control, things are going to go bad for you. But the moment you let God take control of your life, and you let His will be done in your life, you're on the road. Colossians 1.27 To whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you've got words and you've got works. The words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. Okay, that, that makes sense. If we can just do this. Have you ever saw that statement before? Can we read that together again right now? Give Jesus all the credit. When you give Je- I mean, that's hallmark. When you begin to give Jesus all the credit, you're giving testimony that whatever has happened to you that's good is not of your works, but it's of the works of Christ in you. That's the testimony of Jesus. If you're able to do that, the spirit of prophecy is going with you. Let me tell you how it works. You're giving testimony to somebody about what God has done. Maybe you're just inviting them to church and you say, you know, I should come, you should come to that fellowship church. They love people. They love God and they love people. And if you come to that fellowship, you can sit with me. Come with me and you're going to have the best time of your you'll be You'll be so glad you went. And your testimony about what Jesus has done while you were in church has an impact on them. Someone was telling me a guy came to church from over there at the beach and then he brought 13 other people with him to church. Just think about that. (laughs) And so you're telling people about what God has done for you and you're so delighted to be able to tell them that He has saved you. You you got rid of all the heavy bricks of guilt. Tons of stuff you were carrying around just because you asked Jesus to forgive you. And He did. And when you give that in in the form of testimony and you give what Jesus did on the cross, all the glory, the spirit of prophecy is in the words that you were speaking God is not a respecter of people. What He did for you, He will do for them. They just believe. And they can believe because of what you've said and because of what the Word of God says. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive, 
God is no respecter of persons. It just means you're not so special that He did it just for you. He's going to do it for anybody that asks Him. Give God all the credit. The byproduct of giving God all the credit. The spirit of prophecy goes. I know I have a neighbor that just invited the other neighbor to come to church. You know how powerful that is? Just to open your mouth and say, I, I told Pastor, I, I've got this vision, you know. He asked me, do you ever think we'll ever be able to fill the place? You weren't even in here yet. And he says to me, you know, uh, this is such a big place. I, I don't know. And I said to him, you're going to fill this place from top to bottom. You have two services now. You might have to have three. God is going to bless the work of this place unbelievably. It is a light in the city of Englewood. And because you're sharing the gospel with others, because you're not ashamed of what the Lord is doing, what He's done for you, and you share that, God is going to multiply people through your testimony. And what you say is prophetic From that standpoint, God will do it. What God has done for you, He will do in anyone who makes Him their God. Let's say it together. What God has done for you, He will do it to anyone who makes Him their God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Can we give God some praise for that this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.